0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life work, home, community, and the private self your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
0: Neil Blumenthal is co-founder and co-CEO of Warby Parker, a lifestyle brand that offers designer eyewear at a low price with a focus on being socially conscious. Full disclosure, Neil was my student in one of my Wharton classes many years ago. Prior to launching Warby Parker. In 2010, he served as director of Vision Spring, a nonprofit social enterprise that trains low-income women to start their own businesses selling affordable eyeglasses to individuals living on less than four dollars a day in developing countries. In 2015, fast company named Warby Parker the most innovative company in the world. He was named a young global leader by the World Economic Forum and one of the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company. Neil received his bachelor's degree from Tufts University and his MBA here at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania. So now, get set to listen and learn from an honest take on what it takes to retain and attract the best talent at work, how fatherhood changes our relationship to time and work, and much more. It's Neil Blumenthal. Neil, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, the idea... Uh, that you that you launched uh, and became your very much full time occupation before you were done, that started soon after you arrived on campus, or was it germinating for a while before you and Dave and and Jeff and Andy uh, got together and actually launched what is now Warby Parker?
1: Um, it started. We started having conversations about it. Um, so first semester of our first year. Um, but it's really the back half of that first semester
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, you know, Business School and Wharton in particular is just so great at accelerating friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for one thing, uh, everybody's so dynamic and interesting to, to speak to and then you have these shared experiences um, and people are excited to get to know one another. That it really accelerated the floor of our friendship. Um, and then, of course, you're thinking about businesses. You're reading case studies. Um, and uh, it just was the perfect environment for us to start talking about the idea. Uh, of Warby Parker and what, which was really a complaint that classes were too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we started to work through the business plan, uh, it actually um, added uh, additional context to every class that we were taking it because we were looking um, and studying the material through the lens, um, mm-hmm. uh, no pun intended, of, of Warby Parker. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So you, I'm sure, got so much more value from the experience than people who come in just as a completely open book. You were focused on deriving insights for action that you could use right then and there, and that, I'm sure, made you a, a hungrier student uh, and and in some ways more engaged in the things that were relevant for you. I'm sure not everything in the curriculum was.
1: Uh, definitely. Um, you know, uh, and again, it's not that we came in with the idea, the idea really germinated on on campus, Um, but just every class that we took just um, helped propel it forward, Um, and, you know, I think one of the trade-offs, right, you have to make um, in an environment where you have so many ways to spend your time, uh, whether it's, right, um, extra studying for coursework, mm-hmm. uh, visiting um, different businesses, taking part in leadership program that I participated in, um, doing, um, uh, participating in different clubs. Um, however, there was a million things that you could spend your time every minute of the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was an interesting conversation that Jeff, Andy, David, and I had early on, which was, hey, we're all really passionate about this idea of Warby Parker today. Uh, but we also know that there's so many different ways to spend our time. Um, so how do we create a process by which um, if somebody decided um, that they didn't want to be spending as much time on Warby Parker, um, that they could do so um, uh, without the rest of us getting super frustrated? Um, and what we did was hmm. we actually um, created a vesting schedule, um, the four of us. Uh, invested the same amount of money into Warby Parker, $30,000 each, effectively our life savings at the right. time. So we started Warby Parker with $120,000, um, and uh, we created a vesting schedule where... Um, Just for
0: context, Neil, what's, a, what's that worth today? Um,
1: the, the company, um, it's been reported that our last uh, round of funding that was valued at uh, $1.75
0: Thank you. Please continue about your vesting <laughs> process. So you all you all put in the same amount of money, uh, but we then there was the matter of money. your time and attention.
1: Exactly, and we wanted to create a mechanism if, for whatever reason, somebody wanted to leave the company, you know, in the first, you know, like a year and a half or so, while we were still students at school, because there's so many other ways someone could spend their time that they could do so. Um, and what we did was. Um, Equity would vest monthly, so if somebody left, Mm -hmm. um, they would get credit for time served, and the people that continue to work on it would get um, more equity, and that initial person would get diluted a bit, and we thought that that was fair. Um, Of course, um, we all continued to work on it until graduation, um, so we graduated as equal partners just as we started. Mm -hmm. But I think even the idea of us having those conversations up front the mm. beginning of Warby Parker, before we even had a business plan, um, really set the tone for us having a successful uh, partnership and a very successful friendship to this day.
0: To this day. That's a rare thing. And, and, do, and yeah. you attribute the, the sustainability, if we can call it that, of your relationships with your co-founders to these early discussions about uh, what was going to be fair, just, and uh, fun for the four of you?
1: I think so. I, I think that that helped build trust early
0: on. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and right it's often human nature, especially in stressful environments like starting a business um, and high-stakes environments like starting a business, uh, to sometimes to assume the worst. So the more that you can help build trust, the more that you have confidence in, in folks, the more that you can uh, disarm each other and have open and honest conversations Um the the more you can sort of protect against human nature to get defensive to mm-hmm. think the worst of people or, or what have you um, and uh, I think we did a, a good job of that up front um, and it's uh, I think it's a real privilege uh, that we're still close friends we were just hanging out last weekend mm-hmm. um, uh, and the four of us are still on the board of Warby Parker and and it's wonderful.
0: I wonder, you know, part of where I want to take this conversation uh, is is in how you uh, integrate the different parts of your life, uh, and and I'm curious uh, to know about how this idea of building trust from the beginning and and uh, you know talking about the things that matter and how you're going to be fair to each other, um, how that has affected life in your in your family. In other words. Um, Do the same principles hold in your relationship with your wife and kids? I, I think so.
1: You know, um, my wife is an entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she started two businesses now. The first, uh, with a contemporary jewelry line uh, named Rachel Lee. Uh, Lee is her middle name. Um, she was selling over 400 stores across the world. She was the number one uh, contemporary jewelry brand on Shopop.com uh, at the time. Uh, she since sold that company. Um, but um, she's somebody that uh, I trust for her advice and, mm-hmm. um, while building and running Warby Parker. She now has a new business, um, uh, a venture-backed business called Rockets of Awesome, uh, which they design uh, and produce children's clothing. Um, and try to make sort of shopping for children's clothing more convenient for parents, knowing that all parents are pressed for time. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you answer uh, a few questions about uh, your kids' style, preferences, and their size, um, and then uh, also you a box of clothing every season what you keep, send back what you don't want, Uh especially for kids that are um, constantly growing um, and uh, at times uh, getting a little dirty and you need new clothes anyway. It's a great, uh, great sort of product and service. Um, But, you know, she's somebody that um, I I rely on constantly for advice and and feedback Um, and uh, obviously somebody that knows me really well. So she's Mm -hmm. able to provide amazing feedback.
0: So rockets of awesome. That sounds like uh, a great uh, service and one that that I guess uh, benefits from some of the lessons you learned in the early days of experimenting at Warby Parker with uh, you know sending people glasses to try on, which is something that hadn't been done before, right? Uh,
1: Absolutely. I think, um, you know, two of the things that are in common between Warby Parker and Rocks of Awesome is just a real emphasis on convenience and service, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I think we're living in an age, right, where everybody feels pressed for time, Um, and uh, companies, it's not enough to provide a great product at a good price. the uh, threshold for what people consider convenient and easy is uh,
0: much higher than, mm-hmm.
1: than it used to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Click so, and deliver, e- exactly. Right, it's got to be there now. Where is it? I just clicked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how is that? How is that affecting both Rockets of Awesome and Warby Parker these days? Um, I, I, while well, it's never been. Uh, cheaper to start a business
1: uh, it's never been more competitive so mm. um, how it affects where we park the Rockets of Boston it's just like every day we gotta um, keep doing better um, and we often say that um, um, happiness equals reality minus expectations right so if you want to create a business that makes people happy you've got to create a reality that's really good um, the challenge is that people's expectations keep rising Mm. Um, and that's thanks to um, companies like Amazon, companies mm-hmm. like Uber. Um, so for the Warby Parkers and Rockets of Awesome of the world, right? we got to keep making that reality better every year. So whether that means getting product to people faster, uh, whether it means um, somehow providing more value. So do you uh, improve quality while maintaining the same price or lowering the price? Um, how do you expand the assortment? Do you get into other products and services? You know, an example of Warby Parker is that, you know, two of the biggest pain points for our customers is finding the right pair of glasses for their face um, and having a valid prescription. Right. Um, and you know, I think if this was, you know, 20 plus years ago, uh, right. The way you'd solve that is within your store, you just provide some additional training to your sales staff to help people select the right pair of glasses. Um, and, uh, for having a valid prescription, you know, maybe um, you have uh, an optometrist that has an eye exam room in your store. Um, well, you know, that's not enough, and it's not convenient enough for for customers today. So uh, we, you know, um, had have, have a relationship with Apple. We have got access to the iPhone 10, um, and we've created. Um, some software uh, on our Warby Parker iPhone app uh, where we call Find Your Fit, and you can actually use the true-depth camera on an iPhone X mm-hmm. in your face, and oh, wow. um, we're able to, to measure it and then recommend frames directly for you, mm-hmm. which right, makes it easier for people to select frames. It solves that customer problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing we recently launched is called Prescription Check, um, which is also another iPhone app um, in which people are able to pair their iPhone with a second screen like a laptop or uh, an iPad. Um, we know how far away you are from it, and then we serve you up a vision test.
0: Oh, wow.
1: One eye, and you, you, know, you use your thumb on your phone as a remote. Can you see? Can you not see? We transmit that data um, to a network of ophthalmologists, of MDs, that – Review it, and then we send you within 24 hours. Wow. a Eye glasses
0: prescription. Oh, that's incredible.
1: So, yeah, it's really neat. something <laughs> that you know you used to have to take time off of, of work
0: um, to
1: go uh, have an appointment. Right now, uh, you can do from 10 so, minutes from your office or or apartment.
0: So, constantly innovating to create greater convenience uh, and and stay within that you know the price competition. Uh, is part of part of the story of how you're evolving. You're also moving into retail. How many uh, retail locations are there now for Warby uh, Parker?
1: As of this weekend, seventy-four.
0: Wow! And th- are those all domestic? Um,
1: all domestic, with two in Toronto.
0: All right. So that that's that's rapid expansion, and of course, that's changing. I'm sure. Your whole talent management strategy, if, as you've got to be uh, developing people uh, for that kind of environment. Um, I, I wanted to talk before we get into people culture and, and what you're doing to to grow the kind of company you feel proud of. Um, you, one of the one of the important early elements of your success, as I understand it, is uh, the the component of um, you know. You, every sale resulting in the donation of glasses to people in need. Can you talk about um, how important that was to your success uh, and and how that element of who you are as a company continues to be a part of your uh, vision for, for the company that you're creating and the impact that you want to have?
1: Sure. Um, when we started Warby Parker, um, we thought that it was an inherent good that we were you know, selling a pair of prescription glasses that would typically cost four or $500 for $95, uh, but we knew that even at $95 there were still hundreds of millions of people around the world that didn't have access to them. So uh, we wanted to find a way to serve them, uh, and we thought, well, what if we commit to a percent of profits or a percent of revenue, and we thought, you know what? you know, first, the dollar amount right, is not the impact.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: what's the impact is a pair of glasses on someone's face who can now see, who can now learn in the classroom, who could work, um, who could, you know, fulfill their potential because they can now see clearly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the second thing that we thought is, you know, what if we're not running this company anymore? You know, profits and revenue can be manipulated a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, of course. Um, so we wanted to make a bold commitment that for every pair we sell, we're going to distribute one to someone in need and get a pair of glasses on someone's face so that they can uh, be productive. Um, and to date, we've now distributed over 4 million pairs of glasses to people around the world. Mm. Um, one of the things I'm most uh, proud of is a program that we've launched in New York City with New York City Public Schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York City Public System is the largest in the nation with 1.1 million students. We estimate that about 200,000 students in New York City, one of the wealthiest, most dynamic cities in the world, almost 200,000 students don't have the glasses they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been working um, with the Department of Ed. Is this the Pupils uh, Project? this is a pupils project Um, this past school year we provided uh, 26,000 pairs of glasses to kids in New York City public schools we're trying to figure out ways to scale it so that way um, everybody at New York City schools that need a pair of glasses has them.
0: that is fantastic I'm I'm sure that has to make you and everybody who works for you uh, just feel a a sense of I don't know elevated purpose Um, absolutely it's one of those Go on, please. Um, it,
1: it was one of the things that I don't think we predicted when we were starting the company, um, but it's the number one reason why people come to work at Warby Parker. Really? Um, so
0: number one reason for joining you is because of the social mission that you serve, as well as the uh, the just very cool company that you have become in the, the internal culture? Number
1: one reason. Wow. When we ask people um, why did they apply, when we ask people, Mm-hmm. Why do they join? Um, it's the most frequent answer we, we receive. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, here from a, I, as an executive, I don't want to have to justify our Buy a Bear, Give a Bear program. Of course. I can easily justify it um, from a financial standpoint in that it helps us recruit and retain the, the best talent. Um, and in a period of time where we're in the tightest uh, labor market uh, of my lifetime, uh, you know, have the ability to recruit and retain talent, right, is uh, even more important um, uh, than in, in years past. Um, what we found is that um, our buy a pair, give a pair program is not the number one reason why people buy from us. Right. Although they customers definitely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the hierarchy of priorities when someone's making that purchase calculus, you know, mm-hmm. number one is how does this pair of glasses look on my face? And right. Number two is how much does it cost? Mm-hmm. Number three, what's the quality? Number four, how is the service?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, you know, our social mission is, is below. I think it helps us uh, retain customers and mm-hmm. creates loyalty and makes it more likely that customers are gonna take pride in their glasses and tell their friends about us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in terms of business impact, it's uh, really around uh, our ability to, to hire people.
0: That's incredible. So what else are you doing uh, to to get the best and the brightest and to ensure that they are bringing their all and that they are who they want to be as people uh, in their lives uh, that are uh, you know beyond what they do uh, for your company?
1: Um, well, I think the, the first thing is that um, we ask people to, to, to tell us about themselves. Uh, and I know that sounds trite. Um, and I know that sounds, um, not
0: to me uh,
1: simple, um, but it, it has to start there. So, you know, often when I'm having my, uh, weekly one-on-ones with my direct reports, the first thing that I ask them is how are they doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes to uh, help engage, I'll share a story from home, um, you know, this past weekend, um, I went to Maine to look at sleepaway camps for my seven-year-old. So I was telling some of those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps me bring out some personal stories from from my direct reports. Um, similarly, when you join Warby Parker, um, if you're working out of headquarters, um, we have a full team meeting every Wednesday morning. At the end of it, we invite uh, people that have just joined to come introduce themselves, mm-hmm. what role they're taking on, Mm -hmm. um, and then a fun fact about themselves, um, and it serves as sort of a company-wide icebreaker that hopefully, um, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking, definitely, but Mm -hmm. it's a rite of passage, um, and uh, it helps, uh, number one, it creates this ritual, right, and what is culture? Culture is shared values and shared Mm -hmm. ritual, but second, it's this memorable point um, a, a distinction that everybody else in the company can remember this new team member and approach them and hopefully um, engage them in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and three, of course, it helps open people up because we're, you know, asking them to tell us something about themselves that would usually take many, many uh, conversations to get to.
0: Right. So you're, you're, you're breaking the ice quickly and, and you're you're encouraging, you're modeling for people that you understand that they are people beyond what Role it is that they're playing in your company, and that's that's bound to create a, a greater openness to new ideas and a and a greater sense of uh, trust and, and closeness among among the people working together. Absolutely. What are some of the other things that are uh, distinctive um, uh, and important to you and and your your co founders and the, and the executive team in terms of what you're what you're trying to cultivate in in terms of the values that you want everyone to share and enact in their, in their everyday dealings.
1: Um, so, uh, right. One of our core values is learn, grow, repeat.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and, uh, you know, we think that there's a lot of people that leave their jobs because uh, their learning curve has plateaued, mm-hmm. um, and we want to be uh, a place where people are learning, they're developing. Um, hopefully, it's preparing them for their next role at Warby Parker, but if it's preparing them for a role somewhere else, that's, that's completely fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that learning is also a building block for innovation. Um, so, uh, how do we reinforce that? You know, for one thing, another example from these full team meetings that we have is that uh, we're constantly having different departments uh, present on something they've done recently, mm-hmm. not just what, but how and why. Hmm. Um, I, uh, my co-founder Dave and I, we always kick off our uh, um, sort of senior leadership meeting uh, with. Uh, quick wins and learnings around the table. So we go rapid fire around the table and everybody says, um, you know, something good that uh, they've accomplished and something that they've learned recently. Hmm. Um, one of the uh, things that we've done over the past few years is create. Can you
0: give uh, us an example work- of that? I mean, that that's a great practice. I wonder if you could just share a recent example uh, of, you know, quick wins and, and learnings because that's something that, I try to emphasize very much in my own work and practice and also what i what I teach. How do you do that?
1: Um, sure, so um, you know uh, just uh, earlier today, our uh, VP of retail that oversees all of our stores uh, was talking about uh, having our area leaders in town, which are sort of regional heads of, of our stores um, and how we've organized um, uh, a few uh, working sessions mm-hmm. with people from headquarters. Um, and one of their favorites uh, was um, uh, basically a workshop on uh, opticianry and optics. Um, and they found that mm-hmm. super m- motivating. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there was the acquisition of knowledge. Um, and then uh, we connected that with our head of vision services that um, announced that. You know, he was bringing in all of uh, our optometrists into the office and they were going to do a workshop on um, a continuous learning module uh, on uh, vision care uh, for mm-hmm. children hmm. because we now have a, a kids line of, of Warby Parker and just how motivating that was uh, for our hmm. uh, optometrists on staff. Um, so, you know, those are a few examples. That's,
0: those are great um, ones because they speak to your investment and enthusiasm for learning, which, Neil, that is the thing I remember most about you sitting in my classroom 10 years ago. Your your eyes were always wide open, and you had this like smile on your face as things were happening, just because it seemed like you just enjoyed being in a learning environment. It sounds like you're creating something like that, very much like that, in a, in a more practical and direct way, in your company every day.
1: were try. trying. We're <laughs> trying. And, and that's
0: certainly how it felt when I came to visit a few years ago. I was on a book tour, and I gave a uh, we had a, a fireside chat in uh, you know downtown manhattan at your company and there's there was such uh, eagerness to like uncover and and discover new ideas and how how they could be used to to make things better let's turn to your role as a father what is it about being a father that has changed your life and your work I, you know i i know that that's a a big question there's a lot of ways you could take it i'm, I'm mostly interested in how you know, especially as your kids are growing, you have two now, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, one thing, was just pure logistics, uh, I went from being a night person <laughs> to, to being uh, a morning person. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, that's just, uh, you know, kids, uh, especially newborns don't sleep and kids wake up early. Uh, so, um, now I, you know, end up, doing a a lot of work even before sort of the the work day starts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Rachel and I often alternate um, taking Griffin and Gemma to to school, um, and we find that that is um, a really um, valuable time uh, for us um, because it's also the beginning of the day when everybody's present and happy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and awake.
0: A little different in the evening when they tend to be crankier.
1: Exactly, and mm-hmm. of course, I'm, I'm guessing that will change once they become teenagers. <laughs>
0: yeah, then it's cranky all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think the other thing that it's um, really changed me is that uh, while I used to think that I was productive, um, now uh, I feel like I'm even more productive with my with my time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, every moment is is uh, more sacred. Um, so I think hmm. you job prioritizing, um, uh, how I spend my time mm-hmm. in the office and, and outside of the office.
0: Mm-hmm. It's your time's more sacred is a good word, more precious. And so you're more mindful of, of how you're using it. Uh,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, I'm a little more direct, uh, before I agree to a meeting mm-hmm. or to have coffee or drink, mm-hmm. um, because uh, every minute that um, I'm not, you know, with Kristen and Gemma, right, there's, there's costs to that. Of course. Um, and every minute that I'm not uh, growing Morby Parker, uh, right, the, there's huge opportunity costs.
0: So how do, you, how do you wrestle with that, not only for yourself, but also for the people in your company? How do you help them to make intelligent choices about where to invest their attention?
1: Um, but I think we you know, try to prioritize um, and, and value self-awareness and help people um, discover um, what motivates them mm-hmm. what, and what are they passionate about. Um, and ideally, there's some overlap with work um, and, um, <laughs> and where there's not that right, they're spending that time because they now better recognize what's important to them. Um, we tend to spend uh, more time on this with, uh, you know, entry-level um, uh, team members that are coming straight out of school that mm-hmm. are still sort of in their uh, early journeys, I think, of discovering mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. important to them, uh, what their strengths and weaknesses are, um, and, and where those overlap. Hmm.
0: So they need more, more guidance. Is that, is that why you spend more time with them on those questions? Exactly. Hmm. How do you help them with that?
1: Um, we'll often have uh different workshops and guest speakers that come in um you know, different types of uh tools um like um uh, strength finder mm-hmm. uh, for, for example um uh, I've uh tried to steal as much as possible from the, the leadership program mm-hmm. <laughs> you
0: mm-hmm. Good that's why that's why we do it so that our stuff gets used by people like you so yeah so you you invest in this, and you you were saying earlier that uh it's a it's a tight and very competitive labor market and so my guess is that your investment in the whole person and really helping people to discover what they care about that has to serve as a, as uh you know part of what um, attracts people uh to to your company
1: uh absolutely and you know, it's, um, we tend to have very strong retention rates, and you know, one might argue that we actually don't have enough turnover
2: <laughs> hmm. um,
1: in, in in different roles. Um, but I view that as a high class problem.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, as as you continue to grow, what do you see as as your greatest challenge in in continuing to build an organization where? Uh, you know, alignment of values is is important, uh, of primary importance, and where uh, you want people to feel comfortable being themselves. What do you see as the most difficult aspect of keeping that a reality for Warby Parker? I
1: think one is communication, Uh, communication across larger um, uh, organizations uh, is just inherently more challenging. We now have around 1,500 employees uh, spread across uh, two offices, uh, 74 stores, and now an optical lab. Uh, An optical lab is our light manufacturing facility where we cut lenses and insert them into the frame. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, we have. I, I can't have necessarily direct two way communication with all 1,500 people. Right. Of um, not. But are there other tools that, you know, we can use at our disposal? So maybe that's a weekly uh, briefing um, that could be a three to five minute video uh, where Dave and I um, share sort of uh, insights into how the company's performing and what are things that are going on and, and what are some of the priorities. Um, and we're able to share that with everybody mm-hmm. within, the, within the company. Um, you know, one of the other things that it tends to happen at company scale, uh, is that cultures evolve and, uh, subcultures emerge. Um, and I think early on, um, that really scared me. Um, yeah. just like change for everybody is, is scary. Um, but I've quickly learned that, um, as long as the values are constant, right? It's okay for our culture to evolve and, and, and change. I mean, it certainly does here in the U.S. in mm-hmm. New York City, right? It's just uh, it, it's part of humanity. Um, so,
0: what are the core values that you want to, that are unshakable?
1: Um, so, these are things like inject fun and quirkiness into everything that we do. Um, do good, learn, grow, repeat. Um, embrace change. Uh, presume positive intent hmm. um, effectively um, the values that we look for in candidates, uh, the values uh, that we hold sacrosanct and um, uh, evaluate employees on um, the values uh, by which we emphasize uh, when we're doing things um, and use as guideposts when we're making strategic decisions. Um, you know those are, are the most important things for us. Um, and, you know, remember a uh, conversation with uh, Patty McCord, uh, who used to run HR at, at mm-hmm. Netflix. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, we've and, had her on the show. We've talked to her about her work there. Please, uh, what did you learn from her?
1: Yeah, well, you know, when um, I mentioned to her, hey, I don't want the culture to change, she laughed at my face. And she, at the time, I think we might have had like 100 people. And she said, "Do you think that the culture is not going to change as you go from 100 people to 500 people to 1,000 hmm. to 1,500?" 1, Duh. It will change, of course. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, hmm. The world changes. Um, what uh, uh, strategy changes? Um, what's, uh, what's not okay is if um, you know there are certain values by which you hold the company mm. you uh, aren't able to sort of maintain those. I mean, even some values can change, right? But the point is that you still need to be values driven yes. uh, if you want a, a strong um, uh, values driven culture. Uh,
0: back to your uh, um, dual roles, let's call it, or the, the multiple roles you play in your life and and what you've learned about what it takes for you to be you know the best father you can be husband uh you know friend uh family member more broadly uh and and to to be in this very dynamic uh work environment what what are some of the insights that you've gleaned uh over these last uh seven or eight years uh on the the incredible journey that is warby Parker for you about how to integrate the different parts of your life
1: you yeah. I think the first thing is that, um, if you want to be high performing, uh, what are the ingredients that go into uh, high performance, right? In any aspect and, mm-hmm. um, right. It's basic stuff, even like eating right and sleeping, mm-hmm. um, and exercising. And those are things that I'm not the best at. <laughs> um, but I, I do notice that my performance changes, um, right when I'm working out regularly or, mm-hmm. Uh, conversely, when I'm not sleeping well, mm-hmm. I, it, it's I'm not as good um, in the office. I'm not as patient um, when I'm at home mm-hmm. or when I'm at present, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and that matters. Um, and you know, I find uh, on the days, for example, that I drop off Griffin and Jonah at school mm-hmm. and I walk to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I um, have. Uh, more clarity, I'm more decisive, Hmm. Um, just the act of being outside and even the moderate exercise of walking, believe Mm -hmm. it or not, um, and being able to clear my head and not be in a frenzy, Mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to jump on the subway or jump into a taxi and send a million emails Mm -hmm. for about um, 20 minutes or so uh, could be different.
0: It's completely different because you are clearer, uh, calmer. Uh, w- what is it that changes when you uh, take that time intentionally to uh, well, just walk?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I'm able to when I get to work, um, just focus, mm-hmm. um, You know, as opposed to being in that in that frenzy.
0: Yeah. So those small steps can really make a big difference. Um, we've only got a few minutes here and, uh, there's a number of things more that I wanted to ask you about, but let me, let me make sure that I ask you, uh, these two. And first is, um, staying on this topic of how you managed to integrate or find some harmony and peace, uh, in the different parts of your life. What is it that, uh, that you've learned about your partnership with, with Rachel and, in how you sort of organize your lives together that you'd say was the most important, you know, key to uh, your your success there to the extent that you feel you have it? Uh, Google Calendar. <laughs> Wait, can you read, repeat? I'm sorry, you broke out there. Oh,
1: Google Calendar.
0: Google Calendar. Why is that, like, the critical tool? half jokingly. Um,
1: but um, we have visibility to each other's calendars, mm-hmm. and I know that's uh, small, but um, it helps us just better organize and better share responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and uh, also be able to answer questions, whether mm-hmm. Hey, where's mommy? Where's daddy? Um, and and, um, and and plan ahead, and uh, hopefully avoid you know some of the pitfalls of um, mm-hmm. you know, tension.
0: Of course. So there's Partners. good communication about, you know, who's doing what, when and where. But what about, you know, the, the question of shared values, which you talked about with respect to your company? Is that a part of your conversation or um, is, is it implicit?
1: Um, it, it's both. You know, we actually end up spending time talking about uh, talent and uh, company culture quite a bit because we bring our work home with us. Obviously, of It doesn't turn off. Um, so we end up talking a lot about that. We're probably uh, maybe a couple that speaks more about fundraising <laughs> and uh, marketing and, <laughs> and um, uh, but that's stuff that uh, that we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, more importantly, I think it's less uh, necessarily the advice that I can offer Rachel or vice versa, but it's also just having an empathetic ear. uh, For each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And it helps us also sort of um, just greater understanding of each other the Mm -hmm. more that we understand what's going on at work.
0: So, uh, really quickly, what advice would you have for uh, working couples out there uh, for what you've learned on your journey so far, which is still just beginning in a way?
1: Yeah, I think it's help, you know, just like. When you're building a business and, and setting culture, um, what's important to uh, both partners? Um, uh, how do you uh, equitably share responsibility? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, uh, very few individuals are um, have the luxury of having great examples of that because we know throughout history, um, right? The work at the home has not been uh-huh. uh, uh, proportionately shared right uh-huh. in uh, husbands and wives, in particular. Um, you know uh, that clear communication—a
0: regular, a regular time for just the two of you—so important. Neil, uh, I want to thank you so much for being my guest tonight. How can listeners find out more about Warby Parker?
1: Um, the thing to do would be to go to warbyparker.com dot um, or visit one of our seventy four stores.
0: And those are in cities all across America and in Toronto. Amazing. Uh, Neil Blumenthal, thank you so much for joining me on Work and Life. It's really been a treat. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Neil Blumenthal and that his emphasis on continual learning might inform and inspire your own. Learn Grow, repeat. That's a simple, useful slogan for keeping your focus on progressing as a leader in your life and always getting better at your capacity to contribute. And then there's the matter of time, our most precious resource that Neil talked about, time as something sacred, That really struck me, and it struck him as an idea that, well, it just became more apparent to him as his role as a father grew. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Sit back, take a minute just to ponder, what is the most sacred time of your day? And do you treat it as such? What do you discover when you contemplate these questions? Does doing so spur your generating some ideas for how to protect your sacred time? I'd love to hear what you discover from doing just that. You can write to me. Friedman at Wharton.upenn.edu or on Twitter at Stu Friedman. And I'd love to hear from you if you have ideas about who you'd like to hear me talk to on this show. So again, it's Friedman at Edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business radio powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.